starts our service with 499. I have a home beyond the river. 499. Okay, come on the first. All the blessed contemplation. When with trouble here I shine. I'm a home beyond the river. That of
one day going to get there. I'm going to go there. I know that. Because I got saved a long time ago, back in 1970. That's a long time. I've been married a long time, been saved a long time. And I don't regret both of them. Uh, so I hope you know Christ as your Savior. And the only way that you get to heaven, or have a hope that's a real hope to get to heaven, is if you have accepted Him as your Savior. One of the bad things about religion is that it, religion makes you feel like you must do certain things. You must earn, you must strive for, you must maintain something, some things so that you have a hope to get to heaven. But Bible faith, New Testament faith, that you trust Christ by faith in His finished work. And then you receive Him by faith and you're saved. And you have been given eternal life, John 10, 28. And so that's the best thing in the world. Uh, pardon the illustration, but when I got saved, I was looking to know how to go to heaven. I was afraid of dying in my sleep. And so on clear nights, I would look up above our mountain range, the Koala mountain range. I would wonder if I'd go to heaven when I die. And uh, I was afraid of dying in my sleep. And so I tried my best to be good enough for God, if there was a God, to accept me. And then finally, I prayed a prayer that I found on the back of a Superman comic book. The prayer went like this. It was about selling cards, buying cards. The prayer was like this. When I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's what I prayed, hoping that somehow someone would hear that and grant me heaven if there was one. It was very frustrating because I had no assurance that I'd go to heaven. And so that frustration led to me revising that prayer. Here's a revised prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep with a bag of candy at my feet. If I die before I wake, you know that I have a stomach ache. And that was out of frustration. But thankfully, uh, a, a man came knocking on my door one day in 1970. He was from Tennessee. And uh, never met him before. And back then, they didn't like white people. Didn't like this guy just because of the appearance. And uh, had a flat top, haircut, had a white tie, very thin white guy, about 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, Didn't like him, but he said, I'm passing out church invitations. like would like to come to my church. I said, okay. And he didn't know that I was searching. He didn't know that. But you know who knew that I was searching? God knew I was searching. And so he led him to my house at 45639 Pool Hall Street in Kaneohe. And I took the invitation, didn't went to it for several weeks, and then I finally went to hear him preach. I went there about three or four times, and it finally dawned upon me, I can know for sure that I'll go to heaven if I trust in Christ. Now, I'm Chinese, I'm Asian, I don't like to make mistakes, I like to make a good choice, I like to think things through as best as possible. I didn't want to make a mistake, and so I put it off until I was sure that this is the thing I should do. So one day after church, I talked to him. I said, his name was Max Elton. I said, Max, I called him by first name. I didn't know anything about respecting the pastor, you know, and the, the holy man of God. <laughs> I just called him by his first name. Hey, Max. After church, I said, I got to talk to you. And Max was real gracious to me. He knew something that I didn't know. He understood I was searching. He could tell. And so he sat me down in his office. He says, he says, well, Cam, how can I help you? Well, he kind of suspected what I needed. And I said, uh, you said something about being saved and going to heaven. I said, I'd like to know how to be saved. And so he gave me some Bible verse to explain to me and led me to Christ. Now, I know I'm going to heaven because of that one thing that I did. I trusted in Christ. And uh, he explained to me very carefully, it's not about what you do. It's to put your confidence and trust in Jesus Christ 
period. And so I got saved. That was a long time ago. And I'm sorry I didn't get saved sooner. But I'm thankful that I got saved. So when you sing, when you lead us in songs about heaven, I'm thinking, yeah, that's my place. That's where I'm going one day. I hope you have the same assurance too. We're glad to have you in church today. And uh, glad to see Eric. He's here just for a short time. And he's been goofing off in San Antonio, Texas. And so we're glad to see him in uh, hot Hawaii. And uh, let's see, uh, some folks from Nashville, Tennessee. I just met them today. And uh, they know about the school that I went to in Chattanooga. But uh, good to meet some Southerners. I like Southerners. I married one. And so any Southerner is good for me. And then we have a brother here from uh, originally Detroit, but he's now living in Hawaii. We'll have to meet him today. His name is Blue. Is that right, Blue? Yes, sir. He said, Blue like a shirt. And so that's good common sense there. And uh, we're glad to see them visiting church today. And you regular folk, too. I never take for granted to uh, appreciate people that are regular. Uh, Arv has been up for several weeks, like a couple of months or so, uh, going through the COVID thing, passing on to one another. You love each other, don't you? And uh, so now he's back in health, and feel good that he can be in church. And taught a class today, picked right up where he left off. And he had his lesson ready for several weeks. And so it must have been a good lesson. I hope it was. Any false teaching from Brother Arb? Okay, you know, I just want to make sure there. So we're glad to see you folks back in church and you folks in church for the first time. And so let's take a minute out to um, uh, pretend to be friendly. Now, I, I say that in jest because uh, most of you folks here are like me. You're shy. You don't want to talk to people. You don't want to look people in the eye. That's, that's my nature. And uh, But we need to overcome stuff like that and just extend... You know, we're glad to see you in church kind of thing, because we are. I'm happy to see you in church. I'm happy to see business in church. I'm happy to see anybody in church. If you brought a dog in church, I'm happy about that too. If you brought a cat to church, leave him outside. <laughs> but I am happy to see people in church. I really am. Okay? And so uh, I want you folks to welcome people today. Welcome one on the stand, please. Play something happy, honey. <laughs>
announcement. Uh, before we sing again, I need to remind you that today is uh, the second Sunday we are announcing to help out Grace Baptist in Lahaina, which burned to the ground. And so if you want to help them with an offering, a love offering, a donation, if you want to call it that, uh, write a check out to Independent Baptist Church, and then we will in turn write a one check from the church to them. Everything you, you, you give will go to them, everything. And so um, just spark in your check, um, Mama Relief, and we'll know what that means. Those who come to the offer will know what that means. It'll be separate from the regular tithes and offerings. And so we have a chance to help um, fellow Christians, um, fellow believers, fellow uh, sister churches, if I may. And uh, so I know that there's insurance involved there and other relief helps uh, coming their way, but uh, you know we need to help as much as we can. So. Uh, we have helped personally, my wife and I, but uh, as a church, we'd like to help too. So if you'd like to do that, uh, I would just say God bless you for that. And hopefully you never have to go through what they are going through. Hopefully it will never be in your lifetime. But um, some of the video video footages and pictures from above, it's like, it's like a, a war zone. It's like Iraq, Afghanistan, Beirut, kind of thing like that. Just devastating. So... Uh, However, it all took place, whatever happened, there's people there who have lost uh, family members and they've lost every bit of earthly possession. And so if you can help, it'll be a blessing. It's between you and the Lord, so no one's gonna check up on you, but uh, be generous about it. And uh, I'm sure God will bless you for doing what you can do. All right, chance to help. I'm glad others are helping too. Um, even uh, celebrities, some of them, or well-known people, rich people, that's a good thing. They, they can use as much as they can get, and so do what you, do what you can do, okay? All right, uh, you gonna sing? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, you want me to sing with you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll sing one verse and I'll sing the other one. <laughs> I've asked the, our musicians to help with the song, Shelter in the Arms of God.
Thanks for doing that. That was just for me. Uh, all the stress is relieved. The evil spirit has gone away. That was so nice. Oh, yes. Uh, kids, you can go. That was so good. I like that. that piano, guitar, violin, all that kind of stuff. That's so nice. That's such a blessing. Take your Bible to Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I tell you what I don't need. I don't need... I don't need jungle music. I need good music. I need music that will soothe my soul and calm me down and uh, take my mind to Christ. I need music like that. And I like that. I just, I'm a sucker for guitar and violin and piano. I'm just, if you want up to half my kingdom, just play like that for me, all right? That is so good. That's a blessing. Forty years has passed since Moses has left Egypt. And he is in hiding. He's got a new life. The bright lights of Egypt... Las Vegas is a distant past for him. As far as he's concerned, Moses is going to live a life of peace and safety for the rest of his life. In Midian, he's gotten married, he's got kids, and all is good. And he will live his life out peaceably and in quietness as a shepherd. But it's all about to change. <laughs> and it happens like that in life. It's all about the change. In chapter 3 of Exodus, let's read verses 1 through 6. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And then verse 6 says, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts. And again, I pray, speak to our heads. And I pray you would do something with the word of God today that will be what we need. And I could not know what people need, but I do pray that you bless your word. You promised to do so. They would not return void. And whatever people are needing spiritually, I pray to provide something for them to help them today and for this week. Meet a need today. If someone needs salvation in Christ, I pray to do that. If someone needs encouragement, if someone needs rebuke, I pray whatever is needed. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and do what only you can do. Bless your word. I thank you for the ones sitting here before me. And I pray that you would do a good work in our midst today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Moses, in these verses, is confronted by God. Moses is confronted by God. This burning bush gets its attention, as would anybody. Have you ever driven down the road and something happens that's unusual and gets your attention? One day, my wife and I, years ago, were in Midland, not Midland, Texas, but in Garland, Texas. And I was preaching in a church. The next day, we were about to come up to lunch, and we were waiting for our host to take us to lunch. And all of a sudden, about 10 o'clock, the sky turned green. The sky turned green. I said, Miranda, look. And she says, what? 
Jesus suddenly, she says, what? <laughs> the sky turned green. We looked out and the sky was green. It turned, it was green. It was very, I've never seen green skies before. Well, the big storm about to come, it got our attention. Moses saw not a sky that turned green, but he saw a bush that was on fire. And this fire got his attention. This burning bush got his attention. Now, I've read where people say, it wasn't really a literal bush burning. It was really sunset and the sunlight was coming through the bush and it was looking like a fire was in the bush. And that's really what it was, the explanation of a burning bush. And then somebody says, lightning struck that bush and it caught it on the fire. Those are some of the things people say about something miraculous in the Bible. Can I tell you something? The attitude to have when you come to the Bible, when you see something that's hard to understand, hard to figure, or something that's out of the ordinary, don't be... Don't be going to a place in your mind to say, well, that can't be. Or how can that be? Is it possible God was reporting what really happened? And is it possible that God reports things that are beyond our comprehension for the moment? Yes. So he saw a burning bush. It was on fire, but it was not consumed. And so this is like a very unusual, abnormal sight. Usually when things burn, they burn to the ground. Or the fire burns out. It burns itself out because... Uh, the, the combustion and the, the, the source of its uh, heat, fire, it, it's consumed, therefore it can't burn anymore. It goes out. But this thing was burning, and it was not burning out. And so it got his attention, very abnormal sight. And I will tell you in passing that this burning bush is a symbol of Israel. Because Israel, when you think about Israel, fire represents trials. Israel as a nation has gone, would have gone through and will go through many trials in its history. And many times it would have been persecuted to the point of extinction, conspiracies. Uh, Haman, remember Haman in the book of Esther? Tried to exterminate the Hebrew people. And the devil tried to exterminate the Hebrew people. And uh, Hitler tried to exterminate the Hebrew people. Remember that? And all of these persecutions and trials and severe burnings by fire, yet Israel is still around. You know why? God's not through with Israel. God still is working with Israel, although right now he's kind of laid back, so to speak working without building a spiritual entity called the body of Christ, the church. But one day, the Lord's going to work again with Israel and bring them to their knees, and they will welcome the coming Messiah one day. You keep your eyes looking toward the east because God's not through with Israel. And so it could be a, a symbolism of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, the fiery trials they go through and will go through, and uh, yet it is not consumed. Israel is still intact. It's still, a God, it's still God's people. Now, I'm not saying every Hebrew is a good guy. I'm not saying that at all. Any more than saying every American is a Christian. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying this abnormal bushfire uh, may represent, symbolize the nation of Israel, uh, indestructible, indestructible in many ways. And so there's a voice that comes out from this bush. The voice comes, this is unusual. A burning bush and a voice comes out of it. That's strange. And it talks. And this voice talks. It's audible. It's heard. And this voice says something very personal. It says, Moses, Moses. Now, can you imagine how you would feel if you heard, uh, if you saw a bush burning, not consuming, <laughs> called your name? That's pretty spooky. And this is what has happened. And then, then Moses answers. <laughs> he responds to this voice out of this bush. Uh, it's God speaking to him. And uh, he says, he says this. He says, here am I. In verse number four, here am I. Now, there's a lot of application, a lot of personal application in this chapter as it was in chapter two. And when the voice came out of that burning bush and said, Moses, Moses, called him by his name, and Moses responded, Moses could have 
hid. He could have ran away. He could have ducked. He could have fled the scene, not understand what was going on. But he just stood there and he answered the voice coming out, the voice of God. And uh, I'm going to say at this point, there's a lot of people that God confronts, but they don't do like Moses did. Instead of saying, here am I, they run away. Now, there's another young man in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. God was speaking to him, and he thought Eli was calling him. But Samuel was hearing the voice of God. And Eli told Samuel, next time you hear God speaking to you, you say, Lord, here am I. You answer him, and you stay there and let God talk to you. A lot of people, instead of letting God talk to them, instead of letting God speak to them, instead of God getting a hold of them, confronting them, they just run away when God tries to get a hold of them. Now, normally, God does not speak to you now in a very unusual way. Uh, sometimes circumstances is God trying to get your attention. That is true. Sometimes God uses things around you to get your attention. He gets you to be still and look up. Sometimes it could be through tragedy. Sometimes it could be through blessings. Sometimes it could be through delays. Many things cause us to stop and think, is God trying to talk to me? Okay, now, but the primary source which God talks to us is through the Bible. So when you read your Bible and you hear Bible preaching, <coughs> let God speak to you. And when God speaks to your heart, speaks to your head, don't deny, don't run away, don't say no. That's not, that's not supernatural enough. I need another born and birth experience. You don't need that. You need to go through the Bible and see what God says. That's the primary source which God would use to speak to your heart, okay? Anything else could be very subjective. And it could be supplemental to what God is saying, but be careful, be cautious. Don't, don't drain your bank account because of a dream. Don't invest in something because of a feeling. Don't go and do some extreme thing because you feel like it or because your heart tells you so. Your heart could deceive you. Your feelings could deceive you. People sometimes have feelings that are very strong and very real to them. Do you know that? Sometimes people say, she really likes me. She's been making eyes at me and throwing me all kinds of hints. She really likes me. And I like the attention. But there's a problem here, ladies and gentlemen. This guy's married. And at the workplace, this girl is flirting with this married guy. She, she doesn't care if he's married or not, but this guy is feeling the attention. His ego is being blown up like a balloon, and uh, he's liking that. Now, at home, it's not so great, and so this thing is an opportunity for him to find true love. My wife doesn't love me as much. It's been five years since we've been married, and it's not the same anymore. It's kind of gotten boring, and so, uh, and now all of a sudden, and so he feels like, okay, my marriage is over. He feels like he doesn't love her as much. Those feelings are real. He does feel like she doesn't love me anymore. He does feel like there's no passion in their marriage. He, she, he does feel that he does feel like she does love him a little bit more than her. And one thing leads to another. I'm saying this: all these feelings are very real to the person, but it's very wrong. What should you do when you have feelings that are contrary to what's right? You're gonna to have to say, look, the Bible says certain things. My feelings are saying something else. I gotta do something, I gotta make a decision. My feelings, they seem to be so legitimate. They seem to be so real. They seem to be, I've asked God, what should I do? And now this woman came into my life. It all seems so convenient. It all seems like this is God's will. Go back to the Bible and see what it says about your marriage and your relationship to your wife and to your spouse. Go by that. Work on your marriage, work on that relationship. 
Don't go chasing some other woman because she's pretty or younger or you know better looking than your wife. Now look, every wife who's married for a long time didn't look the same. I'm careful here. <laughs> I meant that um, the natural course of life is a guy changes and the wife changes. Let me go to the next point. <laughs> the feelings are legitimate in his head, but it's wrong. If he says, but pastor, I don't love my wife anymore. And I love her now. Real feelings, but they're wrong. I would say to anybody, your feelings might be real to you, but that's wrong. You are to be faithful to your wife, to death do us part. Those feelings that you have at home, whatever comes going home, it could be temporary. It could be something that you can work out. Have you tried to work it out? No. Well, what have you tried to do? Uh, I've just kind of been quiet. I've not said anything. I don't want to get into an argument. So you haven't really done anything to try to solve the real problem in your marriage? Well, no, because I, I don't think it can be fixed. Well, that's what you think. See, you're, you're wrong twice then what you're thinking about. So go back to what the Bible says about this marriage relationship and what God says. And then you try to do according to that, not by your feelings. Don't react upon just emotions. And so uh, people who try to try to run from God because they feel like, oh, you know, God's mean, to, going to be mean to me. God's going to, no, no. Deny those feelings, fight against those feelings, and go back to what you know is true in the Bible. Is, not, is it not true that God loves you? Is that not true? Is it not true that the Bible says God is love? Is it not true that God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering? Is that not true? Then why don't you be the same way towards your wife or toward your spouse? Have the same kind of thinking and feeling toward her when things are not so great. Now, I hope I'm not too off track over here, but I'm giving a lot of PAs every once in a while, too much of this, maybe, but I hope it's good for you. And so the response that he has was, uh, here am I, which is what you and I should say when God's trying to get a hold of us. In the first few verses of this chapter, Moses is confronted by God, and when he confronts you and confronts me, don't run away. Stand there, sit there, bow there, and say, Lord, here am I. What are you trying to tell me? And I'll tell you this, that sometimes what God's trying to tell us is not always what we want to hear. Sometimes it goes against our feelings. Sometimes it goes against what we think is right. Sometimes it goes against what he tells us to do something we don't want to do. We've been resisting. We've been putting it off. We've been denying something. We don't want to do that. But he says, here am I, which is what you and I should say too. Now let's keep on moving. This abnormal bush burning, not consumed, the voice comes out. Uh, the voice identifies himself as God in verses 5 and 6. He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, and he tells you what he says he is. He identifies very clearly. Politicians say, Let me be clear. You ever hear politicians say, I want to be very clear about this, which means they're going to muddy up what they're going to say. <laughs> they're going to make it as vague and generic as possible, where you can take it any other way you want to take it. I hear politicians say, let me be clear about this. Well, if you're clear about it first, then you don't have to say, let me be clear about this the second time. Right. Just be clear the first time. Just tell me the truth the first time. That's what I want. Not this double talk kind of thing. Just tell me the truth. I want to know where I stand in regards to what you're saying. And so God identifies himself who he is. There is no question that this is God speaking to Moses. There's no question who God is. Sometimes people get a visitation, they say, or they get some feeling, they say, or they get some something happen, they say, 
But they're not sure if it's God or not. It could be many other things. Is it possible for the devil to deceive? <coughs> through visions and through voices? Is it possible for God to deceive people? The answer is yes. And so, but God is not, this is God speaking. And he makes very clear to Moses, I am the God of thy fathers. And he identifies in a very clear that he is God talking to him. There's no doubt about that at all. And then um, uh, I'm, I'm sure some peddlers would come along about verse 5 and say about this holy ground matter. Some peddlers would come around and say, oh, look, holy ground. This is a spot. They'll find a spot where Moses was at the burning bush. And they'll, 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 they'll take some of this uh, sand that uh, the holy place where God was, this holy ground, they get some of this stuff and they put it in three-ounce bottles or one-ounce bottles and sell it to you as a miracle cure. We got the sand where God said, this is holy ground. And they're going to market to you through TV, some Christian program, and say, if you get this sand, uh, just cost you $999, and uh, your seed faith, and then uh, guarantee good health. Plant it around your garden, and you'll have a huge crop, or whatever, you know, whatever thing. Or um, add it to your cereal, and you'll have, you know, all kind of nonsense. You're going to have some peddlers saying, this is holy sand from the holy ground where God was talking to Moses. You say, well, that's crazy. It is. But people have taken holy water from the River Jordan or from where Jesus was baptized and say, okay, sprinkle this on your head and your hair will grow. <laughs> Not true. I tried it. I wasted $10 for that little bottle of 0.5 ounces of water. Big liar. I got scammed. But people want to get scammed all the time because there are scammers around, even Christian scammers. Wait a minute. You, you say Christian scam, scammers? There are Christian scammers around. They'll take right. this holy ground stuff, this holy water stuff, and they'll find all these kind of relics and things, and they'll say, okay, for, for, for this donation, don't be gullible. I know you're adults, but adults sometimes get kind of, you know, mystical about things. Don't do that. So the voice identifies himself as God, and he says that the place where you stand, Moses took up his shoes because the place you stand is holy ground. Now, I want to say something about that holy ground matter. That holy ground? Holy ground? You know that word holy? That's a good word, isn't it? Holy? Holy is a good word. We don't use it too much, but we have a holy Bible. Ooh, holy Bible. And do you know why the Bible is called the Holy Bible? Because it's not a man-made book. Man, man who is not really holy wrote the Bible, but God used them, inspiration, all of that is involved, of course, for sure. But the Holy Bible reveals a holy God. The Holy Bible is a holy God. And that holy God, when he saved sinners who are not so holy, he turns them into... And that's why they're called in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, saints. The saints at Ephesus, the saints at Corinth, and the saints so on. A saint is someone who has been saved. If you've been saved, you're a saint. But now that you're saved, you should live like a, quote, saint. In other words, your life should reflect holiness. You should reflect your Father. You should reflect your Savior in your living and in your worship. Now, let me say something about that. We have, in our time, more than any other time in my life as a Christian, I've been saved since 1970. In all of these decades, I've never seen a time like in this time in which people say that they love God, they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, but I have seen the most carnal type of worship ever. I've never seen anything like it before in my life as a Christian. I have seen such carnal type of worship 
mostly it's, it's all TV kind of stuff and you know videos and stuff that you see and you say I can't believe these people are worshiping God they <laughs> think to worship God but they are so carnal in their worship I don't see in that in that type in that style a a hint of worshiping a holy God because the quote performers quote the the worship leaders quote all of these people who are on the platform on the stage I don't see a lot of the holiness about that now I could be wrong I'm just observing something and you might say, well, you're judging the hearts. I'm judging what I see. I'm to be a fruit inspector. I'm judging what I see. And I don't see too much holiness there. I see people who are very talented there. I see people who are very gifted there. But I see a lot of worldliness there too. When I, when I think of worshiping God, a holy God, <coughs> I don't want to think about I'm in a nightclub. I don't want to have the atmosphere of a nightclub. I don't want to have the trappings of... I'm in a bar or I'm in a rock concert kind of things. Now, right there, I probably offended some of you because you like the kind of stuff, I know, because you're into the world. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not your enemy here. I'm just trying to tell you, God is a holy God, and God has a people, the nation of Israel, they are to be a holy people unto Him. And when they were not holy unto them, unto the Lord, He chastised them. That's the history of Israel. They belong to a holy God. They are His people. They were to be separated unto Him and they got entangled with the world. Ended up in chastisement. Ended up in them repenting. They live right and then they re uh, repent of their repentance and then they go back into the world again. That's the nature and that's the nature of us too. You got to be careful, Christian, that your, your worship is conducive to honoring a holy God. That your walk, your worship and your walk each day of the week, not just on Sunday, <coughs> it is reflective of you believe in a holy God. Do you know if you believe in a holy God, no one has to tell you a lot of the times, you better not do this, you better not do that, that's wrong. A lot of the times, you know yourself from the Bible if you are trying to walk with God. The Bible says in First John, walk as he walked. Who is the he? Walk as Jesus walked. Well, how did Jesus live? Okay, I as a Christian, you as a Christian, you are to grow, to have the sense and the, the, the self-determination and the choice to say, today is Monday. Monday, I go to work. Monday, I go to school. Monday, I have to go and do my routine. And on this Monday, I will live a life as a Christian before God in a way that is reflective of the truth that I believe in a holy God, my life would then be a holy life. Now, when you think of a holy life, you think about maybe a, a dark burlap over you, <laughs> like a nun or like, a, forbid it, a priest. No. But your life as a normal, functioning person in this world, whatever the routine is, your attitude, your behavior, it's all Christian. You respond, your reaction, all these things. It's reflective that you believe in God. I told you earlier about how people steal from stores like Home Depot. You just walk up with the carts, things like that. Can you imagine if a Christian did that? In fact, there was a pastor in Clearwater, Florida, or uh, Pinellas Park, Florida, Northern Florida, somewhere. This guy had a ring going on, and this stole over uh, five million dollars worth of high-end tools from like Home Depot and places like that. They got busted. He was a pastor of a church. Now let me ask you this question. Take off thy shoes for the ground you stand on is holy ground. 
Let me ask you, was that man, without knowing anything about the man, just looking at a report, would you say that man was living a life that was not reflective of him believing in a holy God? Would you say that his life showed that really he didn't believe that? I think it went on for five years. They were selling it on eBay, the stuff that they stole from the stores, brand new. Watch out what you buy on eBay. Could be something stolen. So I'm telling you, the angel of the Lord, the Lord said to him, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God is holy. God's people should live a life that honors God by how they live in a way that says, I'm one of your children and this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to tell you this and move on to the next point. Uh, Joseph has been accepted to the, the youth symphony, Honolulu, violin. Him? Joseph, for the last few months, it seems like he has grown up in, in the physical way and in the maturity way. Do you know I trust that young man to do what he says he's going to do? Forgetful, of course, he's a teenager, right? Even though a teenager never forgets things, teenagers always forget things. And without me elevating him unnecessarily, I'm going to say to you that I see in him, I see in Joseph, a young man who believes in the Holy God, and he wants to live a life that is clean. Now, he's been trained that way by his parents. And I see it in his life when he's not realized I see him looking at stuff, responding to things. I see that he reflects, I believe in God. And that I want my life to be honorable to Christ. So his testimony is like that. So I really appreciate all of my grandson. If he wasn't my grandson, I'd say the same thing. Whoever's kid he was. And so uh, that's a blessing. If it's a blessing to the grandpa, I think it's a blessing to his father in heaven. It's a real good thing, ladies and gentlemen, to see people grow up and live for Christ. Best thing in the whole world. And, you know, your parents, if your parents are not here because uh, you're in another state away from them, um, they're probably, if they're Christian, they're probably praying for you all the time. They're probably praying that God will bless my son, my daughter, my granddaughter, grandson. They're probably praying that God will keep them from the evil in this world. And that's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's, it's priceless. It's a priceless thing. Take off thy shoes, Moses, because the place you're standing is holy ground now. It's only holy because God is there. <laughs> because God is there. If God's not there, it's just sand. Alright? If God's not in... If, if God is... If you're not here assembled, this is just a building. It's just a room. Alright? It's just a place. It's just a roof. It's a room. AC. Comfortable. It's just a place when you're not here. But when you assemble, the church is here. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you are assembled... The church is here. And by the way, wherever you are, God is with you. All right? God is with you. If that's not motivation to live right, I don't know what could be any more of a motivation than that. Uh, a long time ago, among independent Baptists, it was a thing to preach about, uh, watch your step kind of thing. It was necessary, I think. But the idea seemed to be that someone's always looking over your shoulder. Someone's always, you know, someone has to tell you, don't do this, don't do that kind of thing. Do you know that? Do you know that if you realize that the Holy Spirit is in you, you have self. You'll be self-regulating. You'll be checking on yourself all the time, more than having to have someone 
a voice from out the sky. Hey, you, that's wrong. No, don't do that. Put that down. You don't need that. You need something external. You just have the Lord in you to remind you, and he pricks your conscience. It's called conviction. It's a good thing to be convicted. People are never convicted. I'm afraid for them. People who don't feel any guilt about things, I'm afraid for them. It's like they've gotten really cold, and they have no feelings toward, they have no sensitivity toward the Lord, toward the Holy Spirit, to what God is saying, what He has said. That's a scary position to be in. I think that person is heading for a fall when he has no awareness or no feelings about this is wrong, this is wrong. You know, it, it, it goes like it's a bad thing to be in. All right. The worst thing to be in, I would say, is, you know, hey, that's me. That's, that's what I am. No one's going to tell me what to do. And that's a very bad place to be in, gentlemen, to say, no church is going to tell me what to do. No woman's going to tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. You know, you're a real fool to think that way. You're a real idiot to think that way. You're a real bad Christian to think that way. You know what God's going to do? This is going to trip you up. Let you fall on your nose. Blood your nose. He's going to let you fall. So you have to look up again. Don't let that happen to you. In chapter 3, in chapter 3, the Lord confronts Moses, spoke to him, to his face, and Moses was afraid to look upon God. Isn't that interesting? He was afraid. When Isaiah saw the Lord high lifted up, he says, oh no, woe is me for I am undone. Isaiah chapter 6. There's a thread that goes through the Bible where people meet God when they meet the Lord face to face or personally, I would say, then uh, they have this awesome humility, this awesome, I can't look you in the face attitude. It's because they are dealing with a God who is holy. I worry about people who think God is their buddy, is their pal. He is their, uh, um, uh, let's see, uh, partner, uh, friend, uh, buddy, you know, and... Uh, we brought God down to our level and he is so cool and he's he wears he wears jeans like I wear with holes in it you know and uh, he wears flip-flops in, in you know to express that he's he's like a buddy to me now wait the Lord is called your friend that sticks closer than a brother yeah that is true but you want to keep that relationship distinct you, this is why when kids when kids call their dad by the first name, not a good thing. Call the mom by the first, not a good thing, because there is a distinction between child and mother and parent. Uh, my kids never called me Cam. That is my name, um, but they don't call me that when they grow up. They always refer to me as Daddy. First it was Daddy, and then uh, Dad, but never really Father. But I understand. So the distinction was always kept. I am, I am your dad. I'm your father. I'm your daddy. I'm over you. I'm responsible for you. I am your, this is not good. I'm your superior. Oh no. I'm your superior. I have authority over you. I'm not gonna stoop down to your level. I might stoop down to play with you, but I'm not gonna stoop down as far as authority goes. You're, you're under us, you're under me, okay? So that is to express to the child that when they're on their own as a grown up, they have an authority over them, which is God the Father. God does not come, God's not brought down to your level as a Christian, and he's your pal, and you smoke weed with him, drink beer with him. That's no, that's not God. That's not God. That, that's a friend. That's a buddy. 
That's a peer. God's not your peer. He's above us. And so Moses was scared. I thought you're not supposed to be scared of God. I thought you're supposed to love God. Yeah, but there's this respect. There's this distance. There's this gap. There's this division. There's this, he's God and you're not God. He's not your friend, but he is your friend. He's your pal, but he's not your pal. He's intimate with you, but it's not your peer. There's a big difference here. So you need to just keep that in mind as you, Lord, hey, Jesus, I want to tell you something, Jesus. Okay, I understand about, you know, uh, intimacy, but sometimes we get too casual. Now, one of the grandkids, it's Matthew. Matthew, he calls me, hey, Gramps. Hey, Gramps. First time he said that, I looked at him, I thought, Gramps? Where'd you get that from? Hey, Gramps. Used to be Grandpa. Now it's, hey, Gramps. And now, Caleb, below him, he calls me, hey, Gramps. Grant, is that derogatory, Gramps? I don't even know, but it doesn't sound like it's right. Call me Gramps. Gramps sounds like crabby. Hey, Gramps. But we want to keep, we want to keep that loving relationship in place. Is God the Father? He is God. He is the Lord, and He is to be feared in a proper way. Moses was afraid of Him because of He knew who He was. He knew who God was and is. All right, so look at verse number seven. I need to move on. Verse number seven. And the Lord said, the Lord said this. After he identified himself, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse eight. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land full with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed uh, them. Now, the Lord here says, He has seen what His people have gone through. He says, I'm aware of what's been going on. I've seen it. I've heard it. I'll do something about it. And so, God's people suffering, he says, I know what they're going through, and I know I'm going to do this. Now, here's a problem that you might have with this scripture here. God does see, God does know. God does respond. But he doesn't always respond so quickly as you want him to sometimes. Let me read some verses to you from the book of Psalms. And these verses are good scriptures to encourage you, but there's a problem with these verses. And I'll read them first, and I'll tell what the problem is. Psalm 11, 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. Psalm 3, 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Psalm 5, 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and He pondereth all His goings. He thinks about what man is going through. Specifically to Israel, generally to everyone. Nothing escapes the eyes of God and the ears of God. Nothing. Nothing. Of the billions of people who have lived and died in this world, God has heard every single thing they have said or cried about, every single thing they have done. No kidding. Is God able to do that? Why? His hard drive is bigger than you can imagine. Is it a terabyte, gigabyte, or whatever byte after that? Uh, it, it is unbelievable, his hard drive of, of, and of memory and of what he can see. You're talking about a God who made this whole world and universe, 
who is able to keep in touch with every single thing and log every single thing and uh, database every single thing, spreadsheet every single thing, and call up anytime he wants to. Now, if a man can do some database thing and spreadsheet thing and call up things that happened 10 years ago because of the computer software program, you think God can do even much greater than that by memory or seeing things as well? I'm saying he can store things and he can see things immediately and he knows exactly what's going on. So really, when there is, quote, injustice and when there is no relief, you know one day God's going to make things right because he sees and he knows. Now, he says in Psalm uh, oh, 10, 17, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O oh my God. Now that part is the, the, the key. Make no tearing. Sometimes God seems to wait too long to help us. Sometimes God tarries too long in our opinion. He does say, I know, I see, I'm going to act. And sometimes you say, when, when, when are you going to do something about this? Now, how many times throughout human history and in the history of the church have you had people suffering and being tortured and being brutally uh, treated and they are God's people, the Jews or Christians, and they have suffered greatly and during their suffering or pre-torture, pre they have asked God to deliver them and God has not. Yet they believe these verses, but God didn't respond yet. You know, that's the problem. And sometimes people get very upset with God because he didn't respond right away. Where were you? I think Mary and Martha were like that with Jesus, remember? Lord, if you had gotten here a little sooner, my brother would not have died. Well, he was just four days late, but it wasn't late for him. It was late for them. And here's the problem. Sometimes God doesn't respond to our prayers right away, and we get upset. That's just being very human, really. Mar Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus... But their brother Lazarus died. And if he had come, he could have prevented that from happening. But he did not. Is it possible that God has something else in mind by allowing something to happen that seems bad? Is it possible? Is it possible? Who can understand Lahaina burning down? Who can understand all those Christians losing everything? And probably some Christians died and burned to death. Who can understand that? Well, the logical thing, the humanistic thing is to blame God for not stopping it. You know the old argument, well, if God is love and if he was real, he could have stopped this. But what you pray for is a waste of time to pray. And everything is thrown at God and saying he's a bad, evil God or he's not even around. He's not even real. If he was, he could have stopped all of this thing. People probably think that. The most well-known atheists in our generation, they write books about things like that. The smart scientists, evolutionists say, well, you know, why are you folks praying now for those people after the fact? Why couldn't God have prevented it from happening in the first place? That's how they think. But we see things one way, don't we? Is it not true God sees things another way? Is it not true sometimes God in His providence will allow things to happen for a different purpose? So we have to remember some things when God don't answer so soon. We have to remember that God always does things that's right. He always does things that's right. Even though at the temporary, immediate time, it seems like, oh, why didn't this why could this not have happened? Well, we think that way. But uh, the Jews cried when Hitler murdered them. And then God's people suffered. God didn't answer. But sometimes we have to just stop and remember God is doing something that may be different from our thinking. We go back to what we know. God is good. God is love. God 
knows the beginning from the end. We know Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. We know that scripture. All that in the bundle, in the mix, we come to this conclusion. I don't understand it, but I understand that God is good, He is gracious, He is loving, He knows what He's doing, and one day it'll all redound to the glory of God. We don't know, I mean, Jesus, His mother, and others around Him, His disciples, why was He crucified? Didn't quite get that, did they? <clears throat> Didn't quite understand that. But how many millions of souls have come to salvation in Christ because of his crucifixion, his death, he shed blood? So we see, we see this, but the Lord sees the whole thing. We're going to have to live by faith and not always by sight and always get upset with God because by what we see by sight is not what I want to happen. But it's very possible, let me, let me ask it, is it possible that God has something else in mind than what you think he had in mind? Sometimes a big disappointment turns out to be the biggest blessing of all. He would take them from Egypt to a land full of milk and honey. They didn't understand that. But they have to go through all this stuff first. And so, remember those things when you don't know why God didn't intercede and intervene and do something instead. For all things are for your sakes, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many we're down to the glory of God. Weeping may endure for the evening, but joy cometh in the morning, says Psalm uh, 30, verse number 5. And so, we have to trust the providence of God. Your faith will be tested. You must walk by faith, not by sight. God wants you to trust Him. The devil wants you to get mad at God. The devil wants you to get bitter at God. And what good are you if you're bitter at God? Does that make the devil happier or oh, probably so and so God does have something better for you and for me we may not always see it or understand it so God uh, confronted Moses and number two God called Moses to lead Israel I don't have time for three points I have time for one more Moses is called by God to lead Israel in chapter 3 verse number 10 he says this come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh oh no no Come thou therefore, and I will send them to Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I will say this to you. God can do this all by himself if he wanted to. God can do great miracles all by himself. Don't need anybody around. God told Job, where were you when I created everything? In Job 38. You know, Job's answer was, couldn't answer because Job wasn't there. But God says, where were you when I did? That's to say, I do everything by myself because I can so why does he need a man like Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt? Well, for some strange reason, God says this about you and about me and about Moses. We are labors together with God, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Do you know that God can do anything once without us? Don't need our help. But God uses us, uses people, uses saved people to do work for him. And we become co-laborers with God, which is a, 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 an unbelievable realization that little old you, little old me, God uses. Doesn't have to, but he does use the human instrument. We are laborers together with God. Uh, Moses would become a co-laborer with God. He would become the great emancipator. He become the great leader through the wilderness. He become the great in every sense of the word. When, when God got mad at the people, Moses intervened. He says, Lord, 
Lock down the book of life if that's possible, but not, not take, oh, please have mercy. And God relented. Moses was a great man, meekest man of all, great man, great leader. And uh, he had to deal with a stubborn and rebellious nation. So stiff-necked, so hard-hearted. Boy, I tell you, it'd be hard for anybody else to take Moses' role, but he was the one, he was the right man. And then, so Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and he would, and through the wilderness. And then number three, next week, Moses concedes the call in chapter three, verse 10, through chapter four. Moses resists the call. Moses finally has to concede to it, and the Lord convinces him through different things in chapter three and chapter four. And so I'd like to do that and cover that thoroughly next time, but I'll have to stop here. And so uh, a lot of good things to pass on to you from chapter three and chapter four of Exodus. So, so far, I want to tell you this. I'm going to finish up now. God confronted Moses. When God confronts you, stay there. Don't run. Face up to it. Let God talk to you. Moses was called by God to lead the people. Now, I'm not saying God's going to call you to do anything. I'm just saying God uses people. And it's possible that God might use somebody that hears these things. And you might feel like, you know, God's been trying to get a hold of my attention. He wants to use me. It might be so. I don't know. And so he uses people to do something for him, for his glory. I don't know about you as I finish up. I've been, uh, I, I'm, how should I say? We know our place. We know how practically useless we all are. We know how unable we are to do anything spiritual for God and for glory, the glory of God. But we're also very grateful that God can use us in some way in regards to His Word and being a witness and being an influence, all these kind of things. But we know that we're just simply co-laborers with God. And I want to tell you that maybe God has been talking to you about being a co-laborer with Him, where He wants you to help Him in some way in your life don't think big time don't think big thing think about small things maybe God wants you to do something as a co-labor with him in a small way in a personal way with somebody somebody some some ministry or some or something maybe you haven't maybe you haven't given yourself to some kind of a ministry that you can be involved in a personal thing that can be a real help to people well, maybe you should think like that and pray like that and ask God to give you some light and some information and some guidance about what 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 do you want me to do? Lord, here am I. That's what those who confront God say. Here am I. In other words, I'm open. I'm all ears. Like Ross Perot, I'm all ears. I want to hear what you have to say to me. And with a sincere like that, God's going to talk to you. God's going to help you to see something. Uh, the older I get, <laughs> the older I get, which is, uh, it happens every year, you get older. The older I get, the more I realize small things really are big things. Small acts are big acts. Small words are really big words. The more I get older, the more I realize it's a small thing to make a big difference. And it is true for you too. Make small things big things. Let God use you as a co-laborer of His. Not maybe on a foreign mission field, but if God calls you, okay, fine, great. But He doesn't always call people in a foreign field. He calls people every day to be a Christian, 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 
a Christian in walk, a Christian host every day. That's a small thing, but it's a big thing. Some people just want you to be a good Christian, a consistent Christian, to see a real man of real faith. That's what they're looking for. As for, as for me and my house, as for you, I would say this as I finish. You just make up your mind that each day you be a Christian that'll be Christian in your daily routine. It'll be seen, it'll be noticed, it'll be appreciated. It'll make a difference, it'll impact somebody's life. It'll make a big difference. You need to pray today and ask God to help you to be a good Christian each day. Monday, Tuesday, each day of the week. That's very important. More important than anything else. You won't believe how important it is, but it is. People need that testimony. People need to see a real Christian. Real Christian. What a big difference that'll make. That small act. If I ever say something wrong publicly, it'll be known. Little did it, you'll know it. I'll regret it. If I did something out here on the during the week and it somehow gets uh, broadcast somewhere, it'll be made known. It'll be a bad thing. It's all avoidable. As for me, I want to have a good testimony. I want to be known as a man who at least believes what he believes and he's not a hypocrite. At least he's trying to do the right thing. And that's what I want for you too. Let's bow in prayer. Now, Father, today I pray that you'd help us to not run, but stop and face up to what you say to us. Help us to know that you are a holy God and that it matters and it shows in how we live and how we think and how we talk, how we behave. We don't need more people just say that they're Christians. Uh, I think if I were to speak for you, if I were to look at the Bible, the New Testament, if I were to say, this is what you would want, I think I would say, I know what you want. You want your people who claim to be Christian to live a life that is truly Christian. Lord, help us to have some kind of determination. Make up our minds. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That we will do, uh, do live a life that will be pleasing to you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I'm asking you personally, between you and God, to commit yourself to Him. I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to see yourself as God sees your life. And if you see something that you need to work on, if you see some determination you need to make in your life, I, I'm, I'm asking you to make it today. I'm asking you to talk to God today. I'm asking you to commit yourself to be a consistent Christian. If you've been slack, lazy, ask God to give you some self-discipline. Neglecting your Bible, ask God to help you have self-discipline. Afraid to witness for Him, ask God to give you courage. If you've been negligent in areas of a Christian life, I'm asking you to tell God, Lord, help me to do right this week. Continue in the Lord. You ask Him to do that. And you do what God tells you to do, which I'm sure will be you do some things to live for me. Father, bless your people. Speak to them. Challenge them. Push them, Lord, to be better Christians for you. May you not fall into the trap of being content laid back. Help us, Lord, to be a little bit more aggressive for Jesus Christ and for his sake. Lord, I thank you for what's in this chapter of Exodus. It teaches a lot. 
for us today. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.